0: Man, you can be seated this morning. Thank you, Mark, for that. Um, I don't know. I just felt like we've done, whenever you do communion, every week, um, I struggle to just keep doing it the same way. And so I asked Mark if he would be willing to just kind of share some things. And uh, so i uh, glad I did. Um, we're going to talk in just a moment about winning the battle for our mind. But let me just jump off of that as we get into this. Um, we're going to go ahead and dismiss the, the kids. I know they're chomping at the bit. They can go ahead and go out in the foyer and meet their, their teachers out there. But so often, we we think that getting out of the suffering that we're facing is the victory. You see what I'm saying? I mean, like, if I'm sick, then the victory is healing. If I'm Um, oppressed and I'm just struggling, then when I'm no longer struggling or oppressed, then that's the victory. But the victory is the glory of God. And when we can glorify him in the midst of suffering, that's what we're talking about. That's what Joseph had to do. He had to continue to declare the faithfulness of God even when he didn't see it. He had to minister to the butler and baker in prison about a dream when he had a dream and there was not one word given to him. I mean, maybe he had the dream again a few times. Scripture doesn't tell us, but for 12 years, he just had to cling to the faithfulness of God and know that God is in control. Uh, I, can't, I seem to not be able to get away from the story of Joseph. He keeps, he keeps popping up everywhere. But um, we're in this series called Truly Free in 2017. And if you've got your Bible, you can go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is going to kind of be our our main scripture for today. As we've talked through the the book, Truly Free by Robert Morris, there still are a few copies in the back. If you haven't picked one up or you want to pick one up, uh, you can step out there and uh, pick one of those up after the service today. They're only $6.00. And uh, he's kind of, he's the one that kind of birthed this series in my heart. Well, the Lord did through him, but um, some of the stuff that he puts in the chapter I cover and some of it I don't. Uh, Today I'm going to stick a little bit more true to his chapter. Uh, Today is more preachy than it is teachy. And uh, if you know me well, uh, teachy is what I do even when I'm preachy. Um, It's just, it's kind of how God's wired me. And it's how I think, and for those of you that like that, great. And for those of you that don't, I apologize. But um, today we're talking about breaking the snares in the mind. Breaking the snares in the mind. I mean, we've talked about breaking the snares of greed and lust and past wounds and bitterness and pride. And, you know, as I mentioned uh, to the class this morning, the enemy is very subtle in how he works. And so if we think that, you know, I... I would never be bound to greed or I would never be bound to lust. As I brought up the story of Ted Haggard last week or you know, I, would never get, I would never be bound to bitterness. Um, please do not think that our enemy is not smarter than either you or I, okay? He is way, way more smart, smarter, way more smarter? Uh, way smarter, <laughs> see he's way, 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 way more smarter than me. He's way more smart forget it. You know, you know what I'm saying. He's way smarter than any of us without the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us to be aware of how he works. But if you think that he's, you're going to recognize him every time he comes to you and offers you a trap, we won't. You know, the enemy works, and he brings it out in the book, The Frog in the Kettle Approach, If you put a frog in boiling water, he jumps out. If you put him in cold water and you turn up the temperature ever so slightly, he'll stay in and boil to death because he gets so acclimated. And so little by little, he brings a subtle deception here and a subtle deception here and a subtle, and finally we get to the place where we are, we are buying a lie that if he would have presented us this lie at the very beginning, we never would have accepted it. But because he presented this one first and then this one and we bought all of these little ones on the way, now that's why we look at at people who are believers and we think, how, how could they believe that's true? Well, you know how they could believe that's true? Because they started here and little by little. And the scripture says when you see people like that, warn them, but be careful. Don't think that you would never do that. Watch your own heart. Okay, don't do it in a condescending way like how dare you or how could you possibly even say, you know what, except for the grace of God, that's me and I probably am there in some area of my life, I just don't recognize it, but we point it out for our brothers and sisters to help one another and so part of this series has been making sure that we don't give the devil even a hint or any type of foothold into our lives and so we've been trying to expose how he works and there is no greater way that he works than in our own minds. Please, um, please, please, please don't hear today that your problem is make-believe, that it's just all in your head, because that's what the enemy will do. He'll try to take this message and make it sound like, well, Pastor Tom just says it's all in my head, it's not real, that's not what I'm saying at all. But what I'm saying is, even if our problems aren't in our mind, we have to deal with it in the mind, okay? If you have a physical problem and you go to the doctor and you, you ask the doctor to help heal you, the doctor, apart from the hand of God, cannot offer you healing, okay? No healing comes from medicine. If medicine works, it's by the grace of God because every good thing comes from God, okay? So there's nothing wrong with taking medicine, but we have to understand that it's God's hand, okay? so. In the same way, if we think that I just gotta get out of this certain situation and not have to deal with the problems in my my brain, we're fooling ourselves. We have to win the battle for our minds. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this is what the apostle Paul writes. He says, for though we live in the world, the world being everything we see, touch, taste, feel, uh, all the systems of the world, Uh, all of the thought processes of the world, all human reason, all of that. We live in this world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with, meaning we have weapons. Okay, if a a person breaks into your house and you have a gun and you leave it in a lockbox, that gun's not gonna help you. I mean, if you have a safe with 25 guns in it and you don't get one of them out to go after the intruder in your house, you won't win. And some of us, we carry this book around like this and we get so excited, that, you know, we have salvation, we have all these things, but we don't get the weapons out that God's given us. And so just having them isn't enough because we all have them. The Holy Spirit lives in us, the, the, the power of the cross in us, it's all there, but we gotta get it out and we gotta use it. So we use the weapons that he's given us. On the contrary, our weapons are not like weapons of the world, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. See the pow- weapons of the world, they have power but ours have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, every pretension, that word pretension just means a proud reasoning. It means that there's, you have some superior knowledge, every proud reasoning that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Now it's interesting that he talks about these divine weapons, these weapons that have supernatural type of power. We go after strongholds. Literally a stronghold is nothing more than a rut. If you live on a gravel road and the gravel road is soft and you know that there are ruts that kind of take your car where you don't want it to go. Your car gets into this rut and then it goes in a place you don't want it to go, but it goes there because there's a rut. Like the same in town when we have slushy streets and then at night they freeze and you wake up in the morning and you're driving and all this. If you're not alert, that rut will pull you here. A stronghold is nothing more than a thought process that the enemy has introduced into our lives and over time it's developed a rut. So when something happens or something comes into my life or I experience something, my go-to, my rut takes me a certain direction. But the weapons God has given us are to literally plow up those ruts, those strongholds of the enemy, so we go where God wants us to go, not where the rut of our own thinking kind of naturally takes us. Notice that these strongholds are not to demolish Planned Parenthood. The, these strongholds or these weapons that he's given us are not to tear down bars and, and uh, all of the, the the corner uh, casinos, you know, and uh, that's not what the weapons do. The weapons aren't even to lasso the princes and powers of the air that in Ephesians 6 we're told that there are forces, there are powers at work. But these weapons God has given us are to go after the thoughts in our own mind. I'm not saying that we don't go after things like Planned Parenthood or petition that they close or that we don't try to wrestle with demonic forces and regions. I'm not saying that at all, but I'm saying right here, Paul says, you know what? Your biggest problem is just your own thoughts, the reasons that come into your head for why you can't know God, why you're not good enough. And we're supposed to take the weapons he's given us to demolish those things. And so this power to to transform our lives literally starts in our minds. Look at Romans chapter 12. Do not conform, again, to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by changing the way you live. No. But we do that. I mean, someone gets saved and we start telling them, hey, this is how you got to live now. You can't do that thing that you used to do and what we ought to be doing is telling them to think differently. You're a child of God. You've got to think like it. You're an heir. You're a co-heir with Christ. You can't think like a slave. You can't think like that anymore. You've got to align your thinking with the God who created you. Here's his thoughts. Start changing the way you think. And if, right here he says, if you change the way you think, you will change the way you live. That's really good. I mean, we all want to see our lives change. We want to see these new believers, their lives conform to what God says, but the problem is we're trying to get them to conform their lives before they conform their minds, and they're fighting a losing battle. They can't do it. And then we just heap all kinds of stuff on them. You shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be talking like that. You shouldn't be thinking like that. The battle for the mind is such a real battle. Throw off your old sinful nature and the former way of life corrupted by lust and deception and instead let the spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Now, please don't go home and think that all I gotta do is think new thoughts and my behavior will automatically change. No, we do have to cooperate with the Holy Spirit and change our behavior but it has to start with letting him renew our thoughts and attitudes first. If, if we don't, we'll just continuously be battered by the enemy. You have gotta change the way that we think. In Colossians chapter three, the apostle Paul says it this way. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and then become like him. Verse 16 going on in that chapter. Let the message about Christ in all of its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom that he gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. Why do we sing songs in here? Because God's some egomaniac and we got to declare who he is so that he's satisfied and doesn't strike us dead? No, because you and I need to hear it. We need to hear ourselves sing about his faithfulness. I mean, some people think we need to sing it to the demonic forces in the region. Good, do that too. But I need to hear it. I need to hear about the faithfulness of God, and I need to declare it. And I don't need to just declare it on Sunday. I sing all the time. Mostly it's about the Lord. Every once in a while, it's some random song that just pops into my head. But someone just told me this week that if you sing two minutes a day, I think it was, that you become healthier. I'm going to live forever. (laughs) <laughs> I'm gonna stop singing I don't want to live on earth forever but when we change the way that we think see what happens is we try to battle things in the world like again please don't misunderstand this but we try to battle like a, an abortion clinic or we try to battle this uh, adult bookstore or we try to battle this thing and we get one to close but guess what another one pops up Because in our world, Romans chapter one tells us we keep inventing new ways of sinning. What we've gotta do is transform the way that we think. Transform the way that, help others transform the way they think so that then the behavior of our world begins to change. The problem with our world is not behavioral. The problem with our world is how we're thinking and we have to present them the gospel. We have to present this idea that, the, the, that God wants to transform the way that we think. The battle for our mind is throughout the scripture. It's talked to us. And the devil can try to come and put thoughts in our minds. And we don't know how he does it. Him and his demonic forces, you know, there's scholars disagree on even whether or not they can do it, whether they just present the idea to us or whether they can literally put things into our minds. I don't know how they get there, but I will tell you this. After living on earth for 41 years, they show up. They show up. Okay, the Bible says I'm a born-again, blood-bought, spirit-filled believer. That's what the scripture tells me. I mean, some days I believe it and some days I don't, but it doesn't matter because this book tells me. And, and then all of a sudden, this thought appears out of nowhere and I'm like, where did it come from? I mean, I wanna blame the devil. I don't know where it came from, but really I don't care where it came from. It's contrary to the character and the nature of God, so he didn't send it, so then I take it captive. That word to take captive. Every thought literally means to throw a spear at something or to pin it to the wall. So literally, we're being told every thought that enters into our mind, we're to take a spear to it and make it obey Christ. Literally, that word obey means to pay attention to. Okay, some of you, some of us, all right, don't pay attention to speed limit signs. But there are forces out there that flash, that make us pay attention to the signs, don't they? And they come to us with a spear, a tablet, and a pen, and they force us to pay attention and obey those things, whether you want to obey them or not. Now, many of us try to push it as long as we don't see one of those things. So that's not the the, the issue. The issue is that when one of them is there, that's what you and I need to do. Every thought that comes into our mind, we've got to make sure, because how many of you know when you see a cop, your foot comes off the accelerator, right? Just to double check. I mean, just to double check, I want to make sure it wasn't speeding, but, and then you almost hit the person in front of you that thought the same thing, but we've got to take those thoughts and we literally have got to pin them against the wall and say, you've got to pay attention to what he says, Not, not you. And these thoughts come into our mind. Depression, anxiety, suicide, pride, sexual immorality, doubt, fear, anxiety. And our mind all of a sudden can just be full of these thoughts that contradict the character and nature of God. Now here's the thing. Some of us will go to a doctor, or we'll go to a counselor, or we'll go to some deliverance ministry, or we'll go somewhere to try to get free from these things. And here's the thing. You can be set free from them for for certain reasons. Please understand, I'm not against doctors, I go to them. I'm not against medication, I take it, okay? I'm not against doctors or medication for depression or anxiety, I think it helps. I've experienced the help from it myself, personally, and I know it works, but here's the thing I also know. That's not enough, it doesn't give me freedom. I've gotta also win the battle for my mind. And if I use something to help my body settle down so that I can get my soul into alignment, then so be it. But I don't wanna rely on anything other than this word to guide my life. Because I don't wanna win just a little bit of victory, I don't want just a little semblance of order, I wanna know the truth. Because the truth sets me free. And so we cannot allow these thoughts to just roam through our brain. We have to take those thoughts captive. Jesus did it. When he was tempted in the scripture, he used the word of God to battle every lie that the enemy came against him with. All the way back in Genesis chapter three is the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. And Satan does not come to Adam and Eve in the garden with a gun, with a knife, with any club or weapon. Do you know what? All he says is, did God really say? Did God really say? And you know what Adam and Eve needed to do? Yes! Actually, they needed to say no, because he said, did God really say you don't eat from any of the trees in the garden? See, it was a lie, and she recognized it at first. No! He didn't say that. He didn't say we couldn't eat from any tree. He just said we couldn't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil and we couldn't even touch it. See, Eve should have gone back to the book. God never said you don't don't touch it or you'll die. He just said you can't eat from it and the day you eat from it, you will die. She added to what God had said. I mean, none of us would ever do that. But that's what she did. And so then the enemy comes in and says, you know what, the reason that God told you that is because if you eat from it, you're gonna know the knowledge of good and evil. You're gonna be like God. And he, he's a taker. He, he's trying to keep you from having fun. And she looked at the fruit and saw that it was good. It wasn't rotten, it wasn't ugly, it, it was appealing, it was good. And all of a sudden, hook, line, and sinker, there she is, and she eats the fruit. He has not changed. He will present us subtle things that get us to say, I mean, some of it will contradict. We'll be like, you know why Paul says, when you think you're standing firm, be careful lest you fall? For that very reason. I mean, she she stood up against the great deceiver. She shot him down. But he doesn't just walk away. He just presents it a little bit different and he'll do it so subtly that you and I can be captured by it. But the scripture says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so what it's telling us is the war has already been won. The war for your soul and my soul already won, but the battle continues to rage on. And that's what 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is trying to do. We're trying to destroy the arguments, the high-sounding opinions. We're taking captive every thought that enters into our mind, and we are battling against him. So let's talk now about what do we do How do we battle these thoughts? What are the weapons that he's given to us? Well, here's step one. Read the book. Read the Bible. Read it. This is step one. All you have to do is read it for step one. This book is the revelation of who God is. You can't just read uh, isolated passages. You've got to read the whole book. From cover to cover, this book tells us who God is. It tells us what he believes. It tells us how much he values us. It tells us what plan he has for our lives. And it's encouraging us each and every day. And the problem with just jumping in and picking an isolated piece here and there is we remove it out of the context of the book that it's in And then we make it twist to say something that it doesn't mean. And if what we're saying this verse means, if it contradicts the character of God as revealed throughout the whole book, then it's not God. I mean, Satan himself quoted isolated scriptures to Jesus, and Jesus had to say it was also written. We've got to know the book because it can be twisted. Eckhart Tolle is an author today. He's on the Oprah Winfrey Show a lot. And his books are loaded with scripture. And all of it, false. All of it, false. It's a lie, it's a deception. But you could pick that up and you could read it and it feels good, it looks good. But I'll tell you, it's a lie. The same way that she looked at the fruit and said, that looks good. How do I know? Because Eckhart Tolle does not name Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior and only way to God. And if someone doesn't believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, I don't care how many scriptures they quote, they're not from the Lord. So the test isn't whether or not it's just in the book. We've gotta to test to make sure that the person speaking it is bearing fruit and the fruit that Jesus is Lord. Okay, that's covered in the scripture. So. Every part of this book is important, and we live in a world, it is far too dangerous for just us to just assume we know what the book says. Just because you were taught it in Sunday school, you will be, I will be, just like Eve. No, God didn't say we can't eat of the, all of the trees, just the one, but we can't even touch it. I mean, what's the big deal if we add a little bit to the Scripture here and there? A uh, Very big deal. Mankind, in. Turmoil today, all because all she added was not even touch it. Don't We've got to know the book. Get in the Bible. That's step one. Step two, you've got to meditate on the word. Meditate on the word. Now, meditation in New Age humanistic way is sit down and empty your mind. No, 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 no. Do not sit down and empty your mind. Fill your mind. An empty mind is a bad thing. Fill it with this book. Meditate on it. Don't just read it. Okay, step one is read it. And once you got a handle on reading it, meditate on it. In other words, think about it over and over and over and over. A sheep has one stomach, has four sections. So a sheep eats food, regurgitates it, chews on it again, chewing the cud, swallows, back up, chews on it again. I mean, I know it's gross and if you don't like it, talk to Robert Morris. He puts it in the book. But it's mauling it over. It's throughout the day, you're just bringing it back up, bringing it out of your mind, back into your, your heart, and you're just, you're mauling it over. What does this verse teach me about the character of God? What does this verse mean for my life? How does it apply to me? How did it apply to the people that were reading it? How do I make that apply to my life? What do I need to do with this? Why, how am I thinking contrary to this? What does this mean? That's what meditation is. See, we just wanna, you know, go to church and have somebody give us a couple verses and then we're gonna be on our way. And, you know, we've gotta value this book. We have gotta meditate on it. And it starts by literally just paying attention when someone's teaching it. I've tried hard during Sunday school and today not to look around because I, I wanted to be able to say this without knowing anyone was guilty and I didn't see anyone except my own self today. But yet, when we go to school, if our kids in chemistry class pull out their cell phones, they get in trouble. Why? Because they got to pay attention to that chemistry that most of them will never use again in their lives. <laughs> Let's be honest. But when we come to Sunday school, or when we come to church, I mean, I can multitask. I can multitask, pastor. It's okay. I can look at things on the internet and still hear you talking to me. Really? Enough to meditate on it, enough to get it in you and make sure you're really paying attention. And or, I mean, Sunday school's lesser I mean, that person, he's not a real teacher. I mean, he's not like a pastor, so I don't really need to pay attention there. Isn't this what we do? I mean, we would never say it, but we do it with our lives. When we're, I don't know what you're talking about at that table, but it is not more important than the person teaching you God's word. And if my kids talk in chemistry class, they get in trouble. Now, if that's just me, don't worry about it. But if it's the Lord, stop it. If you were in a doctor's office and you had a disease that was killing you, I mean the doctor said this is gonna kill you in six months unless you do this, how many of you would be scrolling through Facebook while he was telling you what to do? You wouldn't, you would be paying attention. You wouldn't be like, I can read this at home on WebMD later, I'll just do this. But we think, I can open the Bible for myself, I don't need to pay attention in this room, but I mean, I try not to go too far and think, you know, Lord, if they don't hear every word, you don't need to hear every word, but you need to hear the words that God has for you today. And you need to make sure that the person beside you needs, gets to hear it. Because you're not just distracting you, you're distracting them. And they need to get this word in us. And so it starts just by paying attention. Now, I know you, we can multitask. In fact, I love to put on noise behind me when I'm working. I concentrate better when there's noise happening, but it has to be certain noise because there's some noise that's going on. Kids flipping bottles in class, dude, that drives me nuts. I'm substitute teaching this week, typing away, and then the kids flipping the bottle, and I just stop it because I can't concentrate with that noise. I need other noise, and so, but here's the thing. When I listen to sermons, I can't put them on in the background. I love to run and listen to sermons, but sometimes I have to listen three or four times to get it all. Because when you're running, it's good to pay attention to traffic and stuff. And so you can't focus on what's being said. Sometimes you got to chew it over and over and over and over to make sure you're catching on. You got to fight sleep. You got to fight distractions because the word of God is powerful. It heals us. The psalm says that God sent out his word and he healed them. Hebrews chapter four said it's powerful. It's like a scalpel. It's a two-edged sword that literally cuts us open and exposes the thoughts and intents of our heart. And what happens is when we continue to start meditating on the word, we start memorizing it. I didn't start with memorize because some of you'd be like, well, I can't even remember why I walked in the room yesterday, so I can't memorize anything. Just meditate on it till you do. Meditate bring it up over and over because how do we keep our way pure? By hiding his word in our hearts, not just in our brains. Because I think we can memorize scripture and not get it in our heart. Keep bringing it back up. Keep saying, how do I apply that to my life? How does my life need to change? Because some of us have every scripture memorized about gossip and slander, but we still do it. And so it's got to get in our hearts to the point when we start doing something, we recognize no, or we start thinking something, we like, no, that's not who I am. I'm a child of God. This has no place in my life. I'm royalty now. I'm acting like a slave. I'm acting like a peasant because peasants treat people the way that they deserve. Peasants treat people the way they get treated. But royalty does what's in someone else's best interest. True royalty, okay, don't judge by some crazy king. But true royalty doesn't do what's best for them, they do what's best for their people. And that's what, that's what we are, we're royalty. And so we serve out of that. Deuteronomy chapter six, he tells us, you commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repeat them, not just because our children need them, but you and I need them too, and so we keep repeating them to our children so we all get it. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. It's almost very Dr. Seuss-esque here. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. Write them on your doorposts of your house and on your gates. Be constantly reminded what the word is saying to you. Talk about it first thing when you get up in the morning. Talk about it when you lie down at night. Talk about it while you're sitting around the house doing nothing. Talk about it while you're on a journey. Talk about it. Talk about the word of God. Talk about what he says. Talk about how it's life. How many of you know the enemy loves our idle times? He loves our travel times. He loves our night times. He loves our morning times. Those are the times we need the word to keep coming back, and it, um, I wish the word was just like a pill, that when I had a headache, I take a pill, it goes away. I wish that every time I was in a battle and I spoke the word, it instantly left, but I found that it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes I just have to be persistent and keep doing the word, and I love what Mark said today, because sometimes winning the battle is just getting out of bed. Sometimes that's the battle, and just keep fighting. Just stay in the word, keep getting the word into you, and keep putting that word back out. And step three, after we read it, we meditate on it, memorize it, we use it as a weapon. We use God's word as a weapon. Ephesians chapter six tells us to put on this armor of God. And I'm almost finished, don't panic. We're going to be done on time, I hope. But this armor of God, I want to talk just for a, a few minutes about the armor that God has given us because I, I could preach a series on the armor, but let's just start with the belt of truth because that's what Paul says. He's got, we've got to put on every piece of armor and we've got to put on the belt of truth around our waist. What, what is this belt of truth? It's literally the loin, gird up your loins, it says, with this belt. And so the Roman soldier, the belt wouldn't be flashy, I mean the breastplate of righteousness would be flashy but the, the, the belt wouldn't be that flashy but the belt is the most important part of the armor because the belt holds the armor together. The belt keeps the breastplate of righteousness from sliding all over the place or the, just the breastplate. The belt holds the shield on it. On the other side of the belt, it holds the sword on it. So the, the, the belt is so important even though it's not the Roman soldier's not gonna write home to mom and say, hey mom, got this new belt today. Oh yeah, you should see it. No, a new sword, yeah. New shield, yeah. New helmet, ooh. New belt, eh. But it's so vital. And it's the belt of truth. My word is truth. If you don't get the word in you, everything else is gonna come apart. You won't won't know what the breastplate of righteousness is. You won't know that your righteousness is in Christ, not in our works. Faith, the shield of faith, comes from hearing the word. It hangs on truth. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, comes from truth. the spirit comes along and as you've been in the word and as you've been meditating on the word, the spirit comes along all of a sudden, this thought comes in and he says, here, use this. And you pull that sword out and you go after that thing. I mean, we love the scripture that says you don't have to worry about what you said when when you're persecuted. Don't worry about what you're gonna say. The Holy Spirit's gonna help you. Uh, He's gonna help you bring back what you've been reading and meditating on. Okay, he's not just gonna come and say, uh, hey, I wish you would've read this scripture. It, but in that moment of panic, in that moment of battle, he's gonna come alongside you and say, hey, remember this, remember this, use this. And you're gonna pull that sword out and you're gonna use it. The sword that Paul uses, there's five different swords, but he chooses this one sword that's a double-edged sword. And it's the most vicious sword Then he talks about these shoes that we have. The shoes that come from the gospel of peace. The shoes for a soldier would have started at the knee and gone all the way down. And from the knee to the foot, it would have been bronze. And then from the foot down, it would be covered. The foot would be covered. You know, you see in movies those straps around the Roman soldiers and kind of flimsy looking. No, 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 no. They would have been solid shoes. And on the bottom of them, they would have had very long spikes. I wish we could use them in cross country. They'd be perfect. But they're long spikes. And they were for that reason, to give you good footing. The shoes that come from the gospel of peace, the peace of God that comes from his word will give you firm footing in every battle that you have to fight. Not only that, but they use those long spikes as a weapon. If an enemy would fall down, and where is Satan, by the way? Oh, yes, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The God of peace, the shoes of peace. I mean, Paul's not just making it up as he goes along. This all ties together because the Holy Spirit told him what to write. These weapons and all of them are so important and all of them are so vital. There's so many books out there you can read, so many things you could study that talk about what each of these are for those of you that love it. But here's the most important part. It's all held together by the belt of truth. It means just stay in the book. Stay in the book. You don't even have to know how to use it all the time. Just get in it. The Holy Spirit will show us how to use it. Get in the book over and over again. Dedicate yourself to learning it, studying it, meditating on it over and over and over again. In the book, he gives a couple examples and I just put them on the screen. If you've got a copy of the book, you can find them there. If you don't have a copy of the book and you wanna jot them down, but when we're fighting against fear or unforgiveness or anxiety or temptation or irritability, how many of you know irritability can be a demonic force? I mean, it could just be the flesh too. Sometimes our flesh just gets irritable. You gotta know how to battle that stuff and know how to fight the battle in your mind. Self-control, lust. There's so many more in the book that he covers. These were the big ones that he put in the chapter and I wanted to put them up for those of you maybe that don't have a copy of the book. These are some of the scriptures you can use. Here's the thing, we've gotta win the battle for our mind. This is where the enemy gains access. This is where he starts the destruction of our lives. You're not gonna tumble overnight. You start believing a lie or you start rehearsing it in your brain, your life's not gonna fall apart overnight. You start neglecting the word just a couple days here and a couple days there and a week here and a month there. Your life won't fall apart overnight, but I guarantee you it'll, it'll start to fall apart. The belt of truth has to stay on us don't just trust, well I think in Sunday school once I memorized this one verse that God said don't touch any of the trees in the garden. I mean some of us are convinced the Bible says if you touch alcohol or cigarettes you will go to the lake of fire. Did Pastor Tom just say that? There are some things that we are convinced the Bible says clearly that it doesn't. That it doesn't. I mean, there are helps and guides for decisions where it doesn't speak clearly. But some of the stuff that we say, hey, the Bible says this, show me. Show me. I love the conversations that Pastor John and I have because uh, sometimes he comes in my office to irritate me and sometimes I go in his. And this last week I went in without believing something, but I just wanted to know what he believed. And he kept saying things and I'm saying, where's that in the Bible? Why do you believe that? And I just love, because that's what we have to do with one another. Why do you believe that? Where does the book say that? Or are you just building on a lie? Or are you just building on a bad memory? Anybody, anybody walk in the room this week, forget why you were there? We, we're in a war and we can't just trust our brains. We gotta stay in the book, we gotta keep it fresh because if the sun sets us free, we will be free indeed. There's a condition in our lives called sin. And this book tells us how to deal with it. And if you had a condition and you were sitting in the doctor today and he was telling you what to do, how would you treat that? You'd probably take that list home and you'd study it and you'd make sure you did it faithfully because you wanna live. Our spiritual lives are no different. And he wants you to live. God's not angry with you. I mean, your doctor might get ticked if you come back and you say, hey, have you cut out the sweets and you're like, well, I mean, maybe your doctor gets mad at you, but God's like, I want you to live. I want you to live. And so he's gonna be relentless with us. And sometimes his relentlessness makes us feel like he's putting pressure on us or he's mean. He's not. He knows the end of that road and he wants you to see life. I wanna invite you to stand with me. As we get ready to close today, I'm gonna pray just a prayer blessing over our lives. Today is not the kind of day that I would expect just this huge response to uh, the word that's here because the word is meditate on the scripture. I mean, it's not come forward and let God just transform your mind today. He's gonna transform it tomorrow and he's gonna transform it on Tuesday, and he's gonna transform it on Wednesday. But if you need prayer, if you're here and you need prayer for anything, uh, myself, the prayer team will come, we'll be here for a few moments, and uh, if you want prayer, please come and find us, and we would love the opportunity to pray for you. But after I pray, just consider yourselves dismissed, and then uh, just leave and uh, let those that need to come pray. (laughs) That was terrible. (laughs) Leave quietly, if you could, and let this be a place of prayer for those who wanna continue to pray. Oh, I shouldn't have wore a sweater today. (laughs) Father, I thank you that you love us. This table demonstrates how very much you love us. While we were your enemies, you did this. And if while we were your enemies, you did this, how will you not also, now that we're your friends, now that we're your children, do so much more for us? God, you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. Holy Spirit, we need your help now. We need to know how to use these weapons you've given to us. We need you to help us to stay faithful. We can't be faithful apart from you. And when we're unfaithful, you remain faithful because it's who you are. Holy Spirit, help us to be people of the word, to be in the word, to be reading the word, to be meditating on the word not just to be happy that we read it today, but to know how that needs to change the way we're thinking right now, how that needs to change the way we're treating our coworkers or treating our children or treating our spouses. God, help us to be aware of how to put into practice the things that you've taught us. Help us to know how that belt of truth holds on all of our spiritual armor. Teach us and show us how to use these weapons to demolish every lying, thought of the enemy. Father, I thank you for those that are here today that have come because they desire to know you more. I ask like Paul did that you would root and ground us in your love so that we might know you more. So that the pressure of serving you comes off and that we get to serve you out of the gracious love that you've poured into us and not out of obligation, not out of fear that we're not gonna be pleasing you, but out of response of the love that you've extended to us. So Lord, my prayer today is that you would bless them, that you would keep them, that you would cause your face to shine on them, that you would be gracious to them and give them peace. I pray it now in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, God bless you as you go this morning.